This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the first TSP podcast of 2019. I hope everyone has had a good New Year's celebration and uh, quickly settled back in or will settle back into the daily work, school, college, uni or A and other routine. As always, Stephen Adam are here as well. If I remember correctly, Adam, I think you said this time last year you don't do New Year's resolutions, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So you haven't got any this year either? No. Good. Moving on then. (laughs) Steve, have you got any? Do you do New Year's resolutions? I made one about 15 years ago, which was to never make any more New Year's resolutions, and I've, I've, I've steadfastly sucked to it, so I'm, um, I'm well underway on that one. Yeah, no, good. I can't say I'm uh, one to regularly sort of set myself any either, really, I, other than probably loosely saying that I need to reduce the amount of chocolate I eat after Christmas, but I think even that lasted about 48 hours this time around, so uh, maybe my New Year's resolution to be to not eat my chocolate too quickly, to sort of try and at least uh, pad it out over January or something like that, but uh, there we go, it's been a, another busy week for Saints as the uh, festive and uh, New Year run of games finally finished with uh, mixed results and uh, thoughts overall, I think. Steve, Adam and myself will reflect on the positive in some ways, points secured at Stamford Bridge earlier this week, as well as the frustrating an arguably typical Saints tool FA Cup fixture against, as Steve rightly reminded us all last week, Frank Lampard's Derby County. Sandwiched in the middle of that, and a look ahead to the Leicester City game next weekend, we're here from European professional golfer and massive Saints fan Richard Bland. I caught up with Blandy, as he's affectionately known earlier this week, to chat life on tour, Tiger Woods, Matt Letizier, his 2019 goals, and of course, Saints. This is Total Saints Podcast, episode 59, sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk. HappyHotTubs.co.uk At Happy Hot Tubs we specialise in hot tubs. It's all we've done for 35 years. So if you're thinking about a hot tub and want to speak to someone, then we're the place for honest, clear and friendly advice. Plus, right now we have 0% available on our hot tubs, meaning you can spread the cost in easy payments. 
You deserve happy. Come and get it at Happy Hot Tubs. Conditions apply. Visit happyhottubs.co.uk. Happyhottubs.co.uk. 0% excludes free throw range. As mentioned, Saints showed some resilience to pick up a 0-0 draw away to Chelsea earlier this week. Indeed, it was the first clean sheet we'd managed against them, home or away, since 2002, a period of 16 years or so. Steve, you were there. Um, what did you make of it all? Yeah, it was it was interesting. I think it was a deserved point. I think if we'd been a little bit more clinical in terms of picking the right pass and at the right time when we were in attacking areas, then I think we we might even have, might even have nicked it. Um, I mean, Chelsea created a handful of reasonable opportunities in the second half. And Angus Gunn obviously came in for his league debut for us and, um, well, I mean, kept uh, Morata at bay, which, I mean, isn't necessarily that much of a, a challenge at the moment, I don't think, given his um, sort of levels of confidence. But he kind of exuded confidence and looked to already have decent communication with um, the defenders in front of him. One thing that was particularly noticeable was his sort of sweeping up behind the back, um, behind the three centre backs, Chelsea yeah. played played quite a lot of balls over over the top of our because we tried to play a relatively high line again because Chelsea aren't necessarily that quick in attack apart from um, apart from Eden Hazard, mm. um, but he's generally running with the ball as opposed to sprinting onto things. Yep. So um, playing quite a high line, but they they were obviously trying to dink the ball over the top and sort of make the most of the space there. But um, Gunn was sort of very alert to. Um, to those balls and he swept up quite a few of those got us out of potential bother a few times it was um, interesting you mentioned him because uh, it was his Premier League debut as you mentioned Steve and uh, probably says a lot for Saints that he made uh, I think it was six saves albeit you know different uh, sort of levels of difficulty but that was a season high for Saints so I'm not sure if that says a lot about his performance on the night or sort of Alex McCarthy or Saints throughout the rest of the season really yeah it's, those sort of stats are can be a little bit misleading i think in that i mean it obviously doesn't count the number of number of times the opposition hits the woodwork and and goes close with off target shots and things like that and obviously it doesn't measure the quality of those saves i mean the one that the one in the first half from from hazard um hits him square in the face yeah i'm not convinced he knew an awful lot about it still a save um but yeah it still counts the same um whereas there was one i think from Alonso, I think from from sort of 25 yards, that he had to get down to his right and smother it. And I mean, we've let's face it, we've seen plenty of Saints keepers down the years who would have who would have let that um, squeeze through. So all in all, very positive, I thought. Yeah, Adam, as Steve says, Chelsea haven't necessarily been firing on all cylinders at home the the last few games or so, but it's still, as the the stats show, never been a, an easy place to go. I know Saints have got a few results there over the years I remember being at a New Year's game once when we won 4-2 but yeah I mean still a decent point for Saints at a tough place yeah absolutely it was a good point um it was a committed display uh, it was a display that showed a lot of discipline as well it's one of those games that that you go to a ground like that and and you set your stall out as Saints did to kind of try and not concede effectively and and you know and not get beat and see where you go from there um and and they saw it out i mean yeah okay they probably got a little bit of luck the penalty shout at the end i think it probably wasn't quite a penalty but right. stanford bridge i mean we often say all oh, the big clubs they always get the decisions especially at home well that one probably 
uh, they, well, they didn't get it, even though it was, like I said, I didn't think it was a pen, but it, it, you wouldn't have been surprised had it been given. It was John Moss, wasn't it, the ref? So you yeah. Have idea. <laughs> World class John Moss, yeah. <laughs> but I think the, the problem with that one was that Alonso just made it look so obvious. Yeah. It was, it was very similar to the, say the Ward Prowse one against Man City in that you knew that he was looking for it as soon as he gets the ball. Mm. As soon as the ball's, ball's at his feet, he's looking to go over and, and kind of manufacture contact. And, yeah, I mean, for, for me, it's just not a penalty. But it's noticeable that referees seem to not want to give dives anymore. Well, you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, because he didn't get booked for it, did he? No. I mean, this, it's not necessarily as black and white as if it's not a penalty, it's got to be a dive. But I think on that occasion, it was. Mm, totally agree. Well, after the uh, game, Ralph Hasenhutl spoke about Saints' uh, defence, and he was very pleased. Yeah, I think the, the match plan was uh, not easy to, to put on the pitch, but if we do it 95 minutes and we have the freshness, uh, then we can. Yeah, we are not so easy to, to score against. I think it's, we, can, we can really defend very well, and the, the players uh, try to create always uh, over a number of players near the ball, and it's hard work, but I think uh, against the ball it was an amazing job today. Adam, as Ralph mentions there then, defensively very good, and uh, I think particularly lots of Saints fans are looking at Maya Yoshida, one of his best games in a Saints shirt. Yeah, I mean, Maya's been a big presence, hasn't he, since he came back into the team, and especially when he plays that central role in the three, yeah, he's he's running the defence effectively. I mean, that's you haven't got to be a genius to work out that you know, when you go to Derby, for example, in the next game, you've not got Yoshida, Hoiberg, Romeo, and Ings, you've ripped out the entire spine of your team and you, and you you know, inevitably it might be a bit tougher and Maya um, is going to be a big miss while he's away for the Asia Cup. No mm-hmm. doubt about that because as good as, you know, let's say Bednarek, for example, is and, and he, you know, depending on how you rate the other centre-halves they've got, there's virtually no real experience to speak of between any of them. No. Um, only only a handful of experience and and obviously in a difficult situation which saints are in they kind of need that leadership quiet leadership but authoritative leadership that yoshida provides them with and yeah he was at the heart of it at chelsea and uh entertainingly afterwards he was he was wheeling off his suitcase to to go straight away i mean he didn't even come back he was literally flying straight from the ground with his suitcase um uh off to the asia cup so i mean saints obviously it's going to be a tough few weeks for them without him but mm. but they were very organized at Chelsea they were like I said they were very committed um I was going to say as well the the, the we discussed the the penalty was it wasn't it instant there I think we all agree it probably wasn't mm. um I think the Morata goal that was given offside was onside probably Ooh. so I think it probably was just onside but it was certainly debatable and again that could have gone against Saints but they earned their luck. I completely agree with Steve. They thoroughly deserved that point. It was a really good, strong performance. I mean, it's just that the only, I guess, frustration, not not to do with the Chelsea point, because that was a superb point, but in general, because we've said it before, is that in games where Saints are under no pressure to attack, basically, um, they can be very solid defensively and very well organised. In games where they're under pressure to score goals, they seem to score and concede yeah. in equal measure. And that's kind of the balance that they haven't got right yet, that they, they obviously need to strike. And we saw at Chelsea and again at Derby, basically both of those things in full play. 
I think that's a great point about um, you know the uh, sort of defence uh, and attack, and um, I, I think the Morata offside. I, I think the thing is, you know, it's kind of the way he's sort of leaning forward that his shoulder clearly is offside. And I think you know we've been due a bit of luck. We've spoken about luck on the the podcast before, haven't we? So maybe it was a bit of luck for Saints. But um, the other thing as well that caught the eye was um, desperate times call for desperate measures, and out of the blue, Adam and out of nowhere, even after Ralph's recent comments, Cedric finally appears back in the team as well. Yeah, like you say, that they basically needed him. They, there was nobody else to play, was there really? And uh, and it had to be him with you know on the left hand side. He he sort of was the only player that could play. Well, that's not technically true. They could perhaps have used another player over there had they really wanted to, but it would have required so much shuffling about. And also, they were going to Chelsea. Mm. Um, you couldn't just throw anybody in and expect them to be able to do it. I think it was kind of a and needs must, and then obviously followed that up by getting back to right back again yeah. um, for Derby. Um, I can't say I was surprised because the circumstances kind of obviously men wanted to, it was obvious the target wasn't playing, but you felt well, it's going to have to be Cedric. They can't, you know, who, mm. who, where else do they go in this situation? In isolation, not a surprise, but in the wider context, I guess you wouldn't have expected it, but that's the way these things go sometimes you get some injuries and and suspensions and if you come back in then as Ralph said you do have to take your chance and and yeah Cedric had slipped obviously a long way down the pecking order um and it's taken quite a uh, a run of unfortunate injuries and and problems elsewhere for him to get back in um uh, probably a kind of chance that that wouldn't have been foreseen but he has done uh, so now it's up to him isn't it really I know there was a, a bit of disappointment around the, the sort of fan base, Steve, because obviously we slipped back into the relegation zone. Adam's bit in the echo was very well constructed around talking about the positives of getting that draw, but the reality of sort of sinking back into the, the relegation zone. Burnley, of course, won at Huddersfield, but actually when you reflect on it, Cardiff lost, Fulham lost, Huddersfield and Newcastle all lost their midweek games as well. So ultimately it was a, a very decent point gained for Saints that could end up being very valuable at the end of the season. Yeah, I don't think any of those midweek results were particularly surprising. I fully expected Burnley to win at Huddersfield, even though Burnley have been pretty poor themselves. I mean, Huddersfield are just on a on another level of dreadfulness at the moment, yep. um, as sort of illustrated by them only mustering one shot on target with their first first eleven away at Bristol City in the FA Cup. Um, yep. In the FA Cup, so um, yeah, I mean that that's a team that's in a whole whole world of trouble mm. um so then them losing at home to burnley was completely expected but i mean burnley are now going to have presumably tougher games coming up um well they've certainly got us, they... Steve. <laughs> well yes uh, i mean our, our our record up there is pretty dreadful shall we say i think we've we've won what once up there in well living memory um, I think we won. I think we won three two up there, didn't we? I think under George Burley, perhaps. Yeah, Craggles Resiak. Um, yep. Yeah, I think so. Um, that might even have been the game where Wayne Thomas was playing for Burnley and he got sent off for uh, either elbowing or punching um, John Viafara. <laughs> uh, I remember that. I'm yeah. keeping it while we talk. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, and then at the end of that season, we then signed Thomas for That's right, yeah. <laughs> from, from, yeah. for massively over the odds Coventry were going to pay of I think about 200 grand and we came in and said oh we'll give you we'll give you a million quid that'll be fine he was a big lad though I wouldn't I wouldn't have argued with him he, he did okay I mean he scored scored that ridiculous FA Cup goal against, against Ipswich, Ipswich Town yeah we always remember it you're right it did it Saturday the 27th of October 2007 Burnley 2 Southampton 3 the other goal scorers that day for Saints Bradley Wright Phillips and Jason Yule and then Stern John got the winner so not Raziak yeah. excellent moving on to Derby then 
as I should say, Frank Lampard's Derby County. True style then, Adam. A two-goal lead uh, thrown away by Saints to draw two all and earn a replay, if you can call it that. But pretty frustrating stuff, again. Oh, God. Was it ever? Was it ever? Yeah, a really, really uh, frustrating day for Saints. It's just every time you you think that the corner's turned somewhere, then then something else happens, doesn't it? Uh, you get that. Yeah, they won a couple. Yeah, they have the West Ham game. Then you get the point at Chelsea, and you think, oh, they're kind of back on it again. And then you go to Derby, and just such a flat performance. Really, really flat. Um, you can't blame rotation or changes either, because it was a very senior. Saints side that mm. was out there. There was a lot of experience for out there. You know, for all the pre-match talk of of youth, um, other than Slattery, it was a senior team. And, yeah. and yes, he packed the bench with young players, but actually the starting eleven were very senior. And that was largely in contrast to Derby, who had what three very young debutants in their team and and a real reserve team feel to the players that they started with. It was weird because it was such a terrible game to start with because it was kind of a no contest. Mm. Saints were just, they obviously got the very early goal and then nothing happened. Derby were absolutely no threat at all, really. Um, Saints were totally in control, but in that kind of comfort zone where they were in control, but so in control that they also didn't extend themselves to try and score a goal. Uh, And it just sort of, meandered along really until half time and you thought well I mean this is so comfortable it's ridiculous but they kind of need a second goal and once they get a second goal then then that's job done they came out with a bit more intensity obviously another great goal from Redmond yep. and uh, 2-0 I think we all thought well let's pack up and go home I mean uh, I never it felt a bit <laughs> it, well it felt like that in the way the game had gone though you could there's no way you could see Derby getting back into it and then just a few sloppy moments uh, again and all of a sudden within three minutes it's two all and you think well, how on earth has this happened and, and then at the yeah you know, the last 10-15 minutes was actually a, a, a sort of a match broke out basically really because mm. it had been there'd been four goals without there being much of a game to be honest and then suddenly you had a cup tie both teams obviously wanted to avoid a replay and both kind of went for it there was a lot of scrambles in the area and goalkeeping saves and, and misses and things like that and you know it could have could have gone either way really in that last 10 minutes and kind of ended up with the result that um really neither team wanted but mm. yeah really frustrating that it was so flat and from players as well that you feel like some of those players out there should have been out to prove something to Harsen Hootel. and I think what was most disappointing for me was you know Ralph's we either win or we learn yeah I think you went away from that game and I felt a bit like, well, they haven't won. And I'm not sure they learned anything because uh, what did we learn about any players other than Slattery, yep. who had a, obviously had a debut? It was all senior players who kind of are on the fringes and a lot of whom are sort of, you know, will they have a long term future at the club? Won't they? You know, can they really? Are they really delivering? Who kind of went out and put in the kind of performances that I'm afraid largely we've come to expect from some of them. So... Mm. Yeah, a really disappointing day. If it would have been two all, but we would have seen five young players playing. If Ramsey, Johnson, Barnes, yep. Slattery, for example, had all started and it had finished like that, I'd have thought, oh well, we probably did. You know, didn't win, but probably did learn quite a lot. As whereas I felt like neither won nor learnt, and now have a replay that that really nobody wants. Um, a really frustrating afternoon, I think. Yeah. What did uh, you obviously speak to Ralph after the game, Adam? What did you sense from him? That because I, I think there's um. 
players again in the, the team, the same sort of players we talk about, the likes of Charlie Austin, Al Yanusi, players like that that the fan base are getting frustrated with. And, um, you know, again, you, you sort of get the sense listening to him after the game that he wasn't particularly impressed overall. No, he did. He certainly seemed annoyed. Let's put it that way. I mean, he 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 effectively uh, blamed it on complacency, total complacency, uh, especially at 2-0 up, obviously, when when. Yeah, I mean, we all thought the game was won, but obviously if you're out there, you have to guard against those sort of feelings. And like I said, yes, you rip out the the spine of the team. And I mentioned those players I should probably have added Stewie Armstrong on top of that as well. Then, yeah, of course, that's a weaker Saints side, but they still should have had enough a 2-0 up against that Derby team to have gone through an absolute canter, really. He was certainly annoyed. Uh, yeah, and there were there were a few Bolopar performances and poor old Eddie Anusi. I mean... Yeah, really, to be honest, had a had a shocker, mm. uh, absolute shocker, and obviously got hauled off in the in the second half, having uh, his last touch, I think, being the missing a golden opportunity. And yeah, he just had a he had a really bad day. Mm. Uh, we don't want to single people out because there were a few that didn't play well. Um, there were some positives out of it. There were a couple of positives. Um, you had to strive to find them. I always admire but, that you um, do that, Adam. You definitely get positives from anything, so. I, I try my best, but obviously Redmond, we've talked about him a lot this season, um, and another strong performance, um, two goals, yes, a bit fortunate with the first one, you know, Keogh shouldn't be sticking that in his in the opposite corner from that position, but nonetheless, you know, was proactive and, and you know, got himself a goal. Second goal, absolute belter, yep. um, and a good all-round performance, tried to be positive all day and take the game to Derby with very little support from some of his attacking teammates. Slattery, good debut. Yeah, yep. good debut. Solid. You know, not not amazing, but a good debut. Bearing in mind, you know, he's coming in and, and you know, having to play against, uh, you know, play away from home as well to start with and in a team that didn't play all that well. Yeah, enough there to suggest he's got something about him. And as we get, go to the clutching at straws list of positives now, <laughs> obviously the, the fact that Hoiberg's ban uh, will now take in a replay at Derby rather than the Everton game. Yeah. Um, is obviously a positive of some description. I mean, we're, we're really clutching at straws now to say that that's a great, you know, great result to get a replay because of that. But nonetheless, it is a minor uh, positive. Yeah. In fact, Ralph said it was the only positive. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. Was maybe, that was maybe a little harsh on Nathan Redmond, but nonetheless, uh, <laughs> I, I kind of know what he meant. Yeah. He obviously wasn't happy. No, fair enough. Well, you mentioned Nathan Redmond there. Um, Ralph Harzen, who took up with the Saints media team after the game to talk about Redmond's performance. I think he made a, a good game today, um, not only with the ball but also against the ball. Uh, very concentrated, and uh, after the 60 minutes, after he scored second time, uh, then he had a few ball loses. But okay, that's. Uh, I think he he showed that he he can make the next next step in in his development, and that's important because he has the quality one against one or with his movements when he goes in the box. He has one more chance to, to score a third time, but I think yeah, it, it, it's important for him that uh, now it's not only looking good, also the results uh, are, in, are are here and, and he can give us assists and, and scoring points, and that's important for him and also for us. Steve, Nathan Redmond, as Adam mentioned, two excellent goals, and uh, I mean it's been a tough season for Saints, but as I sort of tweeted yesterday, he's continuing to grow and grow into the season and I think you know most of us as Saints fans pretty much every Saints fan I think will be delighted to, to see that with the, the sort of trials and tribulations he's personally encountered and sort of publicly disclosed yeah I would say he's probably been 
our player of the year so far. I would agree. Um, I mean, there's maybe one, one or two possible contenders that might be somewhere vaguely close, but I think he's been the one that's, that's been the difference maker on, on so many occasions this season just seems to have that little bit more confidence just to, just to make the right decisions. Um, it's not even about necessarily running at, uh, running at defenders, taking people on, although he's, he's been doing plenty of that as well. Um, I mean, like I think his completed dribbling stats, I think he's third in the league. Yeah. I think probably only Eden Hazard and, ooh, I can't remember who the other, who the other one was. So he's, so he's right up there. He's largely been, been very good. Still some way to go, I think, to nail that sort of consistency. Yeah. Um, but that's always been his issue, even back when he, broke into Birmingham's first team. I think it was the year they went down after winning the League Cup. Um, he played in quite a few of their Europa League games. Mm. And um, while he was, you could see the talent there, it was it was always about sort of harnessing, how do you get those sort of eight and a half, nine out of ten performances on a more regular basis, rather than having a nine or a ten out of ten performance sort of two weeks in a row and then having six or seven games where you're a four or five yep. and you don't, re- don't really affect the game. And I think that's, that's going to be the key. If, if we can get him putting in those sort of performances even every other week, then you're going to have one hell of a player there. I think. Mm, no, I totally agree with you. And uh, I should also draw attention, Steve, because I'm sure everyone listening around the world will be shouting, Steve got the prediction right, Steve got the prediction right. But uh, yeah. unfortunately, it doesn't count towards our Premier League prediction table, of course, which I know Adam and I had a little chuckle with. But well done for uh, calling uh, Desmond on that uh, that one. But um, look, I, I guess the positive, Adam, just to sort of end on Derby, is that um, you know, we've seen a lot of Premier League sides go out over the, the weekend. I know at time of recording, we're still waiting for details of the, uh, the replay. But um, I think other than Newcastle drawing with Blackburn there's not many uh, draws in that that round so I'm fancying that Sky or BT are going to fancy uh, a bit of a upset and probably show the replay on telly for everyone to watch but I guess the main thing is for Saints you know despite Jack Marriott having that glorious chance at the end we are still in the hat and uh, you know there is still a chance to go through and win a game at home well yeah I mean, uh, I mean we discussed last week the the, the point that they well they should take the cup seriously and and they're still in it you would have felt more positive about it had either Saints, as I said, played a much younger team or had Derby played a much more senior team, you would have felt like it was a better result than, than it feels like it was, and especially as, as the pan of the game went, as we discussed. But, yeah, they are still in it. And uh, it'll be very interesting to see what uh, Ralph does for the second leg, uh, or the return leg, should I say, whatever you want to call it, um, because I think there must be now a real temptation this time to go with a few more young players but I guess that they at least they will have a slight advantage uh, in that they will have seen the draw. So, as you said, time of recording, we don't know the draw. If you have a home tie against Barnet or something, then, uh, you know, maybe maybe you think, right, OK, let's put out a bit of a senior team for, you know, for an hour and get this one. Hmm. Um, and if you think uh, it's Man City away, then maybe you just play the youngsters and just think, well, let's just see how this ends up progressing and let's at least make sure that we learn something this time Derby are in a very busy run of fixtures and after the game in the in the press conference Lampard was pretty honest to say it's for him it's going to have to be a a young team again Mm. um and I don't honestly see if they put the same teams out again Saints making the same mistakes again especially at home and it's a big ask for a young Derby team coming away (laughs) (laughs) well yeah maybe it's his famous last words um (laughs) 
yeah, I, I guess we'll wait and see how Leicester goes when we as well, and because there there are some injuries um, mounting up now as well with with Ings out for a couple of weeks. Obviously, Hoiberg still missing. Uh, Bertrand beginning to ease towards a return, but when will he actually be really ready to come back? They seem to be picking up. Yeah, Milamina has been struggling for fitness. So there are quite a lot of knocks, and obviously he does need to take the, the Premier League as a priority, and especially in this period that they're coming into now, which is a really vital month, six weeks for them. So maybe it might be a chance for a few younger players. Who knows? But it, I, I think it would be good to see another one or two in there as well from the start next time. Before we move on to hear from uh, Richard Bland and talk about Leicester then, Adam, I know Saints fans, uh, again, listening, will be keen to sort of get a bit of a mini-update from you if there is one around uh, the transfer window, possible ins and outs. Well, Stephen Davis going to Rangers uh, is going through. That is going to be uh, a loan until the end of the season, at which point, obviously, his contract expires. So that's effectively, obviously, Stephen Davis uh, leaving the club now for good. He's obviously been a great servant as well. A good a good stint that he's put in and a real bargain, I would say, in this modern era to have got somebody like that. And, and credit to the guys who signed him yep. um, as well, who we often knock for various other deals. But they... Uh, that was a real cracker. Um, from also, so, also credit to um, to Rangers, particularly brilliant um, financial running of their own football club, which allowed <laughs> us to get him so cheaply in the first place. <laughs> yeah, credit to them, and now they're getting back. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that, that obviously the thing about Davis going is that um, he wasn't going to play, and it, it frees up a senior salary. Obviously, not really getting any money. I don't know exactly what the nature of that deal is. The, the very fact that it's a loan rather than then it's just a kind of he's gone suggests to me that maybe saints are possibly paying a bit of his wages mm. um so he can see out his contract still and rages will contribute the rest so maybe he's not gone completely from the wage bill yet um but that's just me speculating i don't know that but i can't see you know off the top of my head i can't think why else it would be alone at this stage so uh yeah but anyway it frees up a senior space in the squad um and the situation i think remains as it was really they've got to get some players out um they've not got much money to spend um so players have to go to free up money to bring players in and, and that's not just necessarily uh, signing or a fee but if you get a loan in obviously you've got to pay wages um you've probably got to pay a loan fee etc so they need, you know they're, they're kind of at the limit of the squad ralph's already said it the squad's far too big so I think that it's that thinning out process. So you never quite know in January because obviously you, you often get surprised by how quickly things suddenly move. If, if a club suddenly goes, right, we just want a player, um, things suddenly speed up when they seem seem to be dragging. But at the moment, there's no real signs of huge amounts of activity right on, you know, around the corner. I mean, the Gabby Adini thing will probably accelerate at some point mm. in the not too distant future. You know, it's not exactly a state secret that he's going to go. That'll obviously be one more out. Whether anybody else then goes, I, I suspect there might be one or two more. And, and I guess whilst once they have Saints have the certainty of knowing that players are going and, and what kind of money they're getting in and what they're saving, then they can look at what they get in. I, again, I'm not expecting 
any lavish spending. I'm certainly not expecting them to spend 20 million on a player again, like they did last January to, to not great effect, but maybe they can get in a couple of loans. Mm. Um, but obviously it's a different time to do much business. So I think part of the reason that, that Ralph has kind of got the young players involved, he's obviously made this conscious decision with some of these players that they're not going to play some of the more senior players. And I think he's basically making the statement, if we don't get players in, I'm going to go with this and I'm happy to go with this. And I think that's, that is behind the scenes, the, the message he's given out. He'd like some players, obviously he'd like some players. Every manager wants more players, but he's also, I think, preparing himself for the possibility that maybe he won't get you know, any or if he does, it might just be one or two. I'd certainly echo your sentiments in Stephen Davis going to Rangers. Um, top professional and a top role model for, for sort of young fans watching Saints. So wish him all the very best, uh, both at Rangers and uh, whatever happens in the summer. Just finally then, Adam, it's, uh, again, many Saints fans have noticed this week, um, Jake Hesketh and Jake Flanagan uh, returned from Burton. I, I know both of them have got knots, I think, um, and you can probably clarify this, Josh Shims uh, also returned from Reading or is about to return from Reading. So... You know, whilst Ralph may not be able to get players in that aren't part of the club uh, at the moment, there's the potential, particularly with someone like a Josh Sims. You know, he's spoken about getting pace into the team. Yes, he's quite raw, but that's potentially an option that he's not had available yet. Yeah, and I think um, I think one other thing that I, th- I think could be a significant factor, fitness depending, is Sam Gallagher coming back into the fold. Uh, we expect him to return to training very soon yep. um, after his you know injury problems, and I, and I think. Um, from from what I hear, that Ralph uh, quite fancies a look at him as well to see what he can do. Having obviously, you know, Ralph, as we know, has done a lot of research on Saints and watched a lot of the, the previous games, and obviously has taken a slight like to what he's seen from Gallagher and the option he might give give them. Um, I think he's actually might might get a bit of a run out. So I think that that's kind of, I think that they're seeing he's seeing it a bit more as yeah, Gabbiadini goes but he's getting Gallagher back so he's kind of getting an extra striker in there as well so um so that's good in terms of the others yeah I mean he might take a look at them um I I would suggest that uh, quite a lot of those are in positions whereby in reality in the Premier League they're not going to get used Mm. but uh, you, you never know. And I mean, Sims, it's been a bit of a weird one, isn't it? Reading are obviously not having a great season and He's gone there and, and obviously hasn't impressed at all and that yeah. they're sending him back basically because yeah. they're not impressed. So we wait to see kind of what Josh Sims returns, um, uh, and what, you know, whether he can then have an impact. Obviously Reed's still out. I don't think they'll recall Reed simply because, uh, they, you know, with all due respect, they don't need him because they've got a lot of cover in that central midfield area. Um, especially with Slattery now coming in, um, and Prousey having played well there on top of, you know, Hoiberg, uh, Lamina and Romeu, to be, to be blunt, they don't really need Reed in there as well, do they? So, yeah, it'll be interesting. I think ultimately, for all the talk of, of, of the youth, and it has been great to see him get some involved, I think we are going to see him settle when they're playing once a week with, with a very senior side uh, again, um, with, you know, one or two young ones involved here and there. I mean, it was, I think it was quite telling, really, that Derby selection. Now, if, like me, you love your golf, then you'll no doubt be well up to speed on the Englishman playing professionally, the likes of Justin Rose, Lee Westwood and Tommy Fleetwood, etc. But there's one, Richard Bland, who proudly takes his Saints golf towel in his bag wherever he goes, and earlier this week I spoke to him about playing golf and supporting Saints. 
Richard, thanks for joining us on TSP. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, before no we get on to Chat and Saints then, let's have a chat about your, your golf. So you've been a pro for over 20 years now and spent many of those years playing on the elite European tour. What, what's it sort of been like, that experience, Richard, I guess, playing some of the best courses in the world and against some of the best players around? Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been, it was a dream of mine when I first thought that golf was going to be my... Uh, my job, so to speak, and uh, what I wanted to do. And I always wanted to play at the highest level. It was never to be like a club pro or anything like that. I always saw myself playing golf for a living. And yeah, the highest level that you could play at for, uh, for me was, was the European Tour. And to be able to do that for 16 years, um, yeah, I'm very proud of. Uh, hopefully, I've still got a few more years left in me. Um, yeah, time will tell on that one. But um yeah, to play for pretty much 16 years on the European tour has been uh, a dream come true and probably more than yeah, I probably thought I would ever ever achieve. Um, yeah, I still don't feel like I've achieved as much as I would like and hopefully that that's still in my future and uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a great ride and I've uh, you know, there's been some ups and downs and but that's the case in uh, in every sport and uh, but yeah, I've, I've always enjoyed it. I enjoy competing against some of the best players in Europe and the best players in the world yeah, and I've, I've always got a great buzz out of that you know for those of us that absolutely love our golf myself included it's uh, it probably feels a, a bit like being a footballer Richard the sort of dream job but traveling the world and being here there and everywhere and away from family and those sort of things does the, the sort of element of fun and sometimes go out of it or do you sort of really feel like it is a bit of a privilege to, to be able to do that sort of thing Oh, I'm very fortunate. I've never tried to get too far away from that uh, yeah I, I've tried to stay as grounded as I possibly can uh, through it all. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people would, you know, they'd, they'd give their right arm to do what I do every single day, mm. um, to play golf at a level that, you know, is is up there with the best. And, uh, you know, I'm sure every amateur golfer wishes they could they could play better in, in some way. As you get older, the travel does get tougher. Um, it, you know, I'm not going to lie about that. It does, it does take it out of you just because... You know, as, as we do get older, you know, your, your body does start to deteriorate through wear and tear, uh, through all the golf balls that you've hit, or like say, all the travel you've done, however many thousands of miles I've walked around golf courses. <laughs> of course, your body, your body does deteriorate. That's why we work out in the gym to try and stay as healthy and as fit as we possibly can. So those kind of problems of the travel and what have you don't really affect you, uh, as much. Yeah, I'm going away next Wednesday, uh, and I'm not coming back for two months. Mm. Yeah, so I'm going to be away from pretty much everyone that I care about, everyone that I love for for, for two months. So that is difficult, and I I will feel probably the first ten days because I've spent a, a good chunk of time at home, and I love being at home. I value my time at home. Um, the the first ten days will be tough. You know, I'll, I'll probably feel quite homesick and. And there'll probably be some point like, you know, I, I, I wish I was back home. Yep. But you've just got to get through it. You just you, you realise what you're out there for. You know that the weather back home is not conducive for um, for good practice. And I, I'm going to be in Dubai practicing in probably 25 degree heat. I'm going to have my shorts on, and uh, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, it, it does make it it does make it better. But it, yeah, it is difficult being away from friends and family. Uh, but golf gives me. It gives me more than than what I kind of lose out on. I, I I miss certain things with you know family occasions and what have you. Yeah, I think last year was the first birthday I had at home in fifteen years. 
so I'm used to being away for that. that but, you know, golf gives me so much more than, than what I kind of say sacrifice. No, no matter what happens in the future, you know, I wouldn't change what I've done for the world. I, you know, I've loved every minute of it. You turned pro in 96. As you mentioned, yeah. you've obviously been on the European Tour for 16 years. So how much has golf as a, as a player then, Richard? How much has it changed during that period? I, I imagine you sort of think about the increased purses and sponsors mm. and partners and data and analytics and, you know, what you guys use on the range and uh, yeah, yeah. the sort of general coverage, you know, being chased down the fairway by Tim Barter and people like that. It's, <laughs> it's come on leaps and bounds, hasn't it? Oh, it's yeah, from, from you know, from when I played. You know, I used to play for England in kind of 95, 96. You know, I was playing with David Howell and, uh, you know, and obviously Stevie Gallagher, who, who was yeah. playing for Scotland at the time. There's a lot of guys still playing on tour when we were all, you know, that we played with in the amateur days. And we never used to go to the gym. We never we never used to look at our diet. We, we didn't know anything about sports psychology. We didn't know anything about biomechanics, uh, track mans on the range. It, it'll tell you how far you hit. A shot to the point one of a yard. Mm. We never had that. We 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 just played the game. Uh, whereas now it, it's changed huge, and and, and Tiger uh, had a huge impact on that. You know, he he came onto the scene in the mid nineties, mid to late nineties, and and basically changed the way that everybody played the game and approached the game. He he was into his fitness, yeah, and he and because he was just head and shoulders about everybody else and was cleaning up everybody's just gone right okay well, well maybe we should take a look at what this guy's doing because okay he, he was the most talented but he was working harder than everybody else mm. suddenly now you know when i when i probably even you know probably in the late 90s you you could probably count the people in the gym on one hand yeah. and now the guys on tour you could probably count the guys that aren't in the gym on one hand and he had a lot to do with that and and he changed the way that everybody looks at themselves and right okay well how can i get better you know he's only going to get better and if he's that much better than us we have to get better and uh and i'm sure every single player in the world that's played in his era is a better player because of him yeah uh and we're also playing for a lot more money because of him because he was such a phenomenon he was an he was you know he was just he was a golfing juggernaut mm. and he commanded huge purses and he was worth it because of the TV coverage when he played in a tournament, you know, the TV coverage was just ridiculous. Everybody wanted to wanted him in his tournament, and uh, every single golf as a professional is a better player because of him, and are probably richer because of him at every single level. Yeah, and I'm obviously very privileged to have played in some of the same golf tournaments as him, and but also played in the era of him. Yeah, I'm very grateful for that. Like every good Saints fan, Richard, I've followed your career, particularly the last years, because obviously you've been on a, on a bit of a crest of a wave. So, I, I, But I like to do my research properly as well. So uh, looking back on the last couple of years then, 2016 was obviously a, a great season for you. Top 10 finishes six times. Yeah. And uh, then 2017 as well with your, your two top 10 finishes, including the BMW and out there in Munich, which I know many of us Saints fans were following. So I think you were leading it uh, with Sergio at the end of the third round, weren't you, if I remember correctly? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yep, yeah, yep. yeah, and, uh, yeah, I just missed out on the playoff there, yeah. And obviously you had your, your best ever um, major finish, tied 22nd with Ricky Fowler and uh, Adam Scott at Royal Birkdale. Um, unfortunately, yeah. you, you lost your European Tour playing rights last year, as we were just discussing before we, we started. But I guess a new yeah, yeah. year brings sort of new opportunities and motivations, doesn't it? So sort of short and long term for you then, Richard, on the golfing scene, what, what's the sort of motivations and goals heading into 2019? 
yeah, obviously last year was a very tough year um, on and off the golf course. You know, my brother had some very, very serious health issues at the start of the year, which, um, you know, thankfully he's, he's fine now. But pretty much a year ago, it was it was really touch and go whether he was he was going to come out the other side. And, uh, you yeah, know, and we're truly thankful that he has. Yeah. Yeah. That really kind of. You know, I'm not making excuses here. I'm not. I'm not for one to make excuses, but it, yeah, it, it, it kind of it, it took my focus away from golf uh, for a while. And even though I was playing tournaments, I wasn't really you know, at the races, so to speak. And I wouldn't change that. Obviously, my my family will always come first, and uh, and especially their health. So yeah, that I, I don't have any any regrets on, on that part. Uh, yeah, so obviously, yeah, the start of the season was was very, very poor, and 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 the thing is now on Europe, the standard is so high that the start of the season is, I think, sometimes is so so important. Even though the bigger tournaments are are, are later in the year, it, it, if you can get off to that good start, then it does take an awful lot of pressure off you. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of put myself behind the eight ball very, very early, and you know, because I wasn't playing very well. Yeah, your confidence is down, and I just never really, even though towards the sort of middle, towards the end of the part of the year, I was playing, I was playing some okay golf. Okay, I wasn't playing anywhere near my best, but I, I just kind of left myself way, way too much to do. And uh, like I said, you know, golf, it's it's ups and downs. Um, but looking to next year, you know, it's going to be a very strange twelve months for me. Yeah, I'm going to be playing some tournaments that. Yeah, I haven't played in a very, very long time. But yeah, I'm, I, like I said, I don't think I'm, I'm done by any stretch of the imagination. I know if I play to the level that I know I can play at, I've got every chance of doing well on the Challenge Tour and finishing in the top 15, certainly in the top 10, uh, and getting my playing rights back for 2020. You know, I've, I've still got ambitions of, of winning uh, yeah, my first European Tour event. I'd, I'd also like to get to 500 events. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm about 50 around 50 short of that. So that would probably take me another two years of playing on the European tour. You know, I'm 46 in, in a month. Yeah. You know, I, I try and keep myself in, you know, okay shape. I'm never going to be a Mr. Universe or a, <laughs> a Mo Farah, um, fitness runner, but, uh, you know, sort of touch wood. I've never really had too many bad injuries or anything like that. So yeah, if I can just keep myself pretty fit and healthy, then, you know, I, I don't see why I can't do that. It's going to be a tough 12 months, but, you know, I've played enough golf and not really anything's going to sort of jump out and grab me and, oh, right, not experienced that before. Mm. I'm as motivated as ever as to, you know, to get my European tour card back. You know, maybe maybe last year might have been a blessing in disguise. It might have been the sort of, you know, not that I shy away from hard work, but it might be the sort of kick up the backside that I need to just, right, okay, you've got to work harder. And, uh, you know, and if I do get my car back at the end of 2019, you know, it'll probably want to be my, some of my proudest achievements. I think, yeah. uh, you know, there's probably not too many guys playing on the challenge tour at 46. It's more of a, a younger guys kind of tour, but, uh, you know, I'm under no illusions and, uh, you know, I'm prepared to give it absolutely everything that I have, um, you know, to get back to where I still feel I should be playing. Well, we'll definitely be uh, keeping our fingers crossed all this. Um, before we talk Saints then, I thought we'd do a very quick fire, Richard Bland on golf Q&A, because I know we'll have uh, <laughs> we'll have many golf fans listening uh, as well to the pod around the world, yeah, Richard. So, so there's some very quick fire questions. There, there's nothing that's going to catch you out here. So who was your golfing idol growing up? Uh, Nick Fowler and then Tiger Woods. What's the favourite club in your bag? I saw five wood somewhere. You said once. Yeah, my five wood. Yeah, my five wood. Probably it's, it's probably about ten years old. Uh, <laughs> still got the, the original shaft in that's that's getting pretty worn. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was at TaylorMade today, and they, 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 you know, they, every time I go in there, they say, "You look, you got to get this out." And <laughs> it'll probably, it'll probably go in my coffin with me, uh, <laughs> you know, once, uh, once that happens. Yeah. Most memorable course ever played. What's the one that sticks in your mind? Lock Lomond. Yeah. And Tiz Caddy for you up there. He did, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Lock Lomond's pretty yeah. much my favourite. Good. Um, your best mate on tour? Uh, Bradley Dredge. The one to watch coming up on the European tour. So there's been a lot of chat about Thomas Dietrich, hasn't there? But is there another name that we should be looking out for? Oh, that's a good question. But yeah, it's it's tough to get impressed on on the European tour because everybody's a really good player. But yeah. uh, it might have been the uh, European Open actually, in uh, which my good friend Richie McAvoy won. Mm-hmm. And me and Jamie Donaldson played with a guy, a German guy in the first round, called Matthias Schwab, and he was really impressive. Uh, and I think last year was his first year. Me and JD both sort of said how impressed we were. And, uh, yeah, he might break through this year or, or certainly in the next the next year or so. But, yeah, he's one to look out for. Good stuff. If you could win one of the majors then, Richard, which one would it be and why? The Open. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's the biggest. It's the best. Yeah. And being British, yeah, it would be it would be the Open and probably then the Masters. Yeah, I thought you might say that. Excellent. Uh, right, including yourself then. So which other three players of any generations would make up your dream four ball, Richard? You'd have to play with Tiger, yeah, just because of what he is to the game. I'd probably pick Hogan, yeah, again, just probably one of the best ball strikers that's ever lived. And the next one is difficult. Probably have to say Jack Nicholas. You not had the opportunity yet to play with Tiger, obviously. No, I've played in the same tournaments as him. I've actually played quite close to him in the draw. Yeah. And, uh, but no, no, not uh, not had that privilege. Fair enough. So, all right, the final one then. It's match play finals, uh, Richard. So, <laughs> would you rather beat Tiger Woods at the WGC match play in Texas or would you rather beat Matt Letiz at Stoneham? <sighs> That's a tough one. I knew it'd be tough. It is. It's got to be tears, actually. <laughs> it's got to be tears because then it's just, it's just bragging rights on Twitter. We played at the Wisley the other week and he beat me and... Yeah literally we hadn't gotten the clubhouse and it, it's, it's you know you, you get notifications on twitter it's just so uh yeah whenever you can get one over on matt you, you've got bragging rights for a couple of months so it's yeah. always nice no oh, good stuff so cool well just just briefly then talking to talking to tears and talking to saints i know you're a big fan like many of us so what have you made of, yeah, sort yeah. of the, the goings on of the last couple of months and years you can't keep selling your best players but when people come and you know, the big clubs now, when they come and offer you ridiculous money for players, the thing is you can never argue a player of trying to better himself. And the thing is with, with football now, that those top five or six teams, their resources are just so much higher than anybody else's. They can afford to spend 20, 30 million pounds on a player. And whether it comes off or not, it doesn't matter. Because mm. 20, 30 million to them is nothing. It's like me giving you a tenner. But to a Bournemouth or a Southampton or a Brighton or something like that, 30 million is, is huge. And it's the thing nowadays that 20 million really buys you kind of like a sort of a bang average kind of a player. It's just a ridiculous world we live in in football. You know, if you're going to buy someone that's kind of in the world class bracket, you're up of 40 to 50 million now. It's ridiculous. Uh, so how can Saints compete at that? You know, someone like Virgil van Dijk, 75 million for a central defender is, is ludicrous money, yeah. but you can't turn that down. Yeah, and he's probably worth double that now in this market. Isn't exactly. It? You know, it's like Sadio Mane. You can't turn 36 million down for him. Luke Shaw, 18 years old, 30 million. So I know people say you can't sell your best players, but what else can you do in that mm. respect? And, and, and yeah, maybe we've just got to look at, well, actually, well, 
what are we buying? You know, maybe the buying side of it has not been that great. You know, Gabardini hasn't really, yeah, you know, he was pretty good when he first came with us, but doesn't really get on the pitch a huge amount now. You know, I think you've got to look at what we're actually spending our money on. And mm. where, where is it? Jermaine Defoe's just yeah, gone. Yeah, he's going to Rangers, isn't he? Yep. I think he would be great for us. Yeah, yeah. He's that poacher, you know, isn't he? Yeah. You know, what, what are we lacking? We're lacking in goals, basically. Yeah. You know, and no disrespect to sort of, you know, Charlie Austin and Shane Long. Yeah, that, Shane Long, is he's, he's fit enough, but I don't think he's a good enough goal scorer. And, and Charlie Austin's probably a good enough goal scorer, but he's not fit enough. <laughs> yeah, between know? the two of them, there's a player in there. Yeah, isn't there? <laughs> you know, but you need that. You, that's, that's two players on a pitch that are filling the role of one. And I hope this new guy can, can turn it around. It's going to be, you, you look at the league table and it's starting to, it, the, that middle order starting to spread out a little bit. Yeah. I think the West Ham result could really come back and, and haunt us being one up there. I think that was a big three points lost there, a huge three points lost. And, uh, yeah, you, you've got to look at probably Fulham and Huddersfield are going to go. Um, and it's probably one from another four or five and, yeah. and, and we're right in it. You know, we just don't look like you're going to put three or four wins together. Yeah. Still early days, obviously, on Ralph Hasen who told, but just sort of briefly, what have you made him in so far? Still to be convinced or a fan or? Um, yeah, I think you know, Mark Hughes obviously wasn't doing. You know, a good enough job. Even you know, he, he kept us up last year, but you know, I think it was just the fact that everybody was absolutely useless around us. You know, his his record wasn't great. So, you know, and obviously at the start of this year, you know, just horrendous. You can't win twice in a calendar year at home and and expect to stay in the Premiership. You 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 know, you can't do it. No. And um, you probably think it might have even actually been five or six games too late. Um, but. Yeah, he looks like he's interested, and uh, obviously he's trying to build his resume uh, as a coach. And you know, you, you know that I think he's going to he's going to give it a hundred percent. And I'm not saying that Mark Hughes wasn't looking at some players' interviews; they you know, they seem positive with him. But yeah, they're always going to say that, and mm. you know, it's going to be it's going to be on the pitch. Basically, it'd be interesting to see if we do buy anyone in. In the January window, I don't know if we have, we do have our eye on anyone, but you, you've got to think if this current crop of players isn't good enough at the minute to keep us up, then uh, how, how are you going to how they're going to do it over the last fifteen or sixteen games? You know, you've got to look to buy. I even said it. I think like a season ago, I would have loved Jermaine Defoe at our place. I think well, even though he's late thirties, he's still fit. He still looks like he wants to play. He's quite hungry to play. Yeah. I think he would have been a great fit for us. Uh, okay, I understand his wages might have been a little bit high, but if they keep you in the Premiership, he, he he's worth it. Yeah, I hope they do it. You know, because it'd be a shame. It would be a shame, and it's one of those things. You you look at some of the teams that that go down now. You there's just no guarantee you're going to come back. You know, the Championship's probably in some ways tougher than the Premiership. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I hope they do it. I think the next five or six games are really going to tell us an awful lot whether they're going to have a good chance of staying up or a good chance of going down. Mm. And few may know then, Richard, that you had trials at Saints as a teenager, is that right? Yeah, I did. As a yeah. goalkeeper, uh, I saw. Yeah, as a goalkeeper. Yeah. I was a goalkeeper and uh, and then I broke my ankle really badly when I was sort of 15. And um, yeah, that kind of put pay to that, really. I played for sort of one more season after that. Uh, but my yeah, my heart kind of went out of it and, uh, yeah, and I became a golfer. Uh, <laughs> Maybe I made the wrong decision. I would probably be a lot wealthier and retired by now. So uh, I might, who knows? I might be sat next to Matt on Gillette Sunday. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I, I don't regret it for a second. 
the profession that I have, I um, you know, I love. Like I said to you before, I wouldn't change it for the world. And just finally, I know it will depend a lot about um, what happens in terms of Saints staying in the Premier League, but you know, there's been a lot of frustration around the fan base. I think many of us have been a, a bit alienated about what the club are trying to achieve. And you know, mm. I know you will obviously get stories from Matt and people like that around the club that you, you will know. But what, what's your sort of personal hopes for Saints maybe the next 12, 24 months, assuming they stay in the Premier League, to just sort of get back to trying to play entertaining football or a bit more than that? Yeah, I think so. I think um, obviously first and foremost, yes, to stay in the Premiership. You know, because everybody wants to see the Man Cities, the Liverpools, the Chelsea's, the Arsenal's come to St Mary's. Uh, you're seeing world-class players. But um, you'd rather see them have a go and lose mm. than, you know, I think I think some of the games, uh, you know, I don't really get to, you know, uh, to too many games now. Yeah. Um, you know, I live up near Leatherhead Way, so, I, you know, it's a bit of a trek for me to get down. And obviously, I'm not always around, you know, but my, my good friend at Stoneham, Ian Young, he goes... Yeah, and he just said sometimes, you know, the, the, the standard is just is just pretty awful. And uh, I, yeah, I I just like to see him, you know, just buy some better players. You know, I think in January, right now, I think right, okay, you've got to. I can't imagine that the club's finances are are, are in a dire position. Right. Um, well, okay, well, are we gonna are we gonna do this? Are we not? What you know? What is the ambition? Show some ambition. You know, let's right, let's give this manager, give him seventy, eighty million quid. Right, go buy four or five players. You know, let's let's have a go. Like you say, if you don't try, you, you're never going to know. And Southampton should be in the Premiership. It, it's yeah, they are they are a decent sized club, and you know, there are a lot of bigger clubs that are not in the Premiership. You know, I know we have Bournemouth there, but the South Coast needs a, a, a you know two Premiership football clubs. And uh, you know, I just hope now that the people that are in charge, you know, have got the club's best interests at heart, and you know, I'm sure they have, and. Uh, and I hope that they, you know, they show, they show that to the fans because, you know, they're a great bunch of fans and, uh, you know, the, the team supported very well home and away and, mm. and they, and they deserve that. At the end of the day, they're the ones shelling out the money and, and, and they deserve that. And, you know, and I hope these new owners, I think, uh, cause I know the Libra family sold, is it about 80% yeah, of the that's club right. That's right, yeah. to the Chinese? You just hope that they're, you know, they're not just in it to make, um, some quick money out of it and, um, that they are prepared to, back the new manager and believe in the team that's all we can hope for and me as, as, as much as anybody hope that they uh, they can get the results needed and uh, and, and stay in the premiership but you know they, they do have to build you know it's the same with any team isn't it yeah you if you're not trying to improve you're going to go backwards totally agree well um, you know really appreciate your time Richard thanks it's been great in chatting to you and I, I think every single Saints fan wherever we are will be uh, following uh, you in 2019 and wish you all the best for it all right thank you very much that's much appreciated Adam Leach and Steve Grant, sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk. Next up in the Premier League, Saints face Leicester City. It'll be the third time we've played them in all competitions already this season. Leicester, Steve, funny side, they win away to Chelsea and Everton, beat Man City at home, then lose to Cardiff at home, and as we've seen today in the FA Cup, albeit you know maybe a half a second string side, lose down at Newport, so almost typical Claude, that. Yeah, they're, they're a very strange side, aren't they? The... <laughs> Billy Big Balls team really in that they think that they can swan around and turn up against the weaker opposition and just just put them to the sword and it will just happen 
and yet they then turned up and put in a big effort against the against the bigger sides and have bloodied a lot of noses over the over the past few years. Obviously, I mean, title win aside, even even the year they stayed up when they were bottom at Christmas, they beat quite a few of the big teams in, in their running to to stay up. So yeah, I mean, they've they've always had that that sort of fluctuation in their locker, I think. But yeah, the the pressure on Claude Puel seems to be non-stop, despite um, pretty good league record. They've won, what, I think four of the last five in the Premier League? Something like that, yeah. The one obviously being that just, frankly, baffling defeat at home to Cardiff. So they go into it, actually, despite the headline saying Claude Puel was under pressure again, they actually go into the game next week in pretty decent form. Mm. They're not going to be any pushovers by any stretch of the imagination. Does it sort of sum up modern football, Adam, that, you know, and I know when I was around your house, there were several posters of Claude up on the wall. We know you're a big fan of his. And, uh, <laughs> Claude <but> must stay. <laughs> Claude must stay, yeah, that still doesn't work. But, uh, um, I mean, well, they not, are. I've told you last time, I'm not going to give up on it, because if I say it enough, then it might just, just, you know, people yeah. might just accept it and have to get on with it. <laughs> um, I mean, as Steve says there, they're seventh in the Premier League. Watching the Newport game today, I mean, he kept unzipping his jacket a bit further and a bit further. He was clearly feeling the pressure. I mean, the, no one wants to go out to a lower league side in the FA Cup, but, you know, there is a lot of press and, and sort of media speculation around him and his role. But as Steve says there, they're actually doing pretty well in the Premier League. So does it kind of just sum up your modern football that, that everyone wants to, you know, and expects you to win every single game? Well, I think there's an, an element of that. Because like you said, I, I can't really see how you think Leicester, they're going to do any better than being seventh. Mm. Um, as Steve said, the, the, the title year was obviously just a, an unbelievable year all round. Um, with the weakness of the big six and, and the way that the Leicester came through. Uh, they're, they're obviously not going to do that most years and they're not going to do that this year either. So they are literally in the position of the best of the rest, which you would think is absolutely their ceiling at the moment. And yet the pressure's on Claude. But then I would imagine, in fact, I wouldn't imagine, I know, obviously there are a lot of fan, neutral fans asking why Saints fans were desperate for Claude to go and were clamouring at the doors to get to push him out at Saints when they finished eighth um, and got to the League Cup final because I think most people would suggest from the outside from a neutrals perspective that Saints have no right to expect to be any better than that and and that Claude actually did a very good job the truth is obviously that people didn't like the, the way in which he did the job mm. and the manner in which they secured those results and I think the same is true at Leicester I don't really think that people can surely be arguing with the way they're going in the Premier League. can't believe that people are genuinely unhappy with them being seventh at Leicester unless they're absolutely deluded. So it has to, again, be down to uh, the way he's managing the team and the way he's getting the results and the style of those results. But it, is, it does seem amusing for us to be having this conversation when obviously, really, it was exactly the same situation for him at Saints wasn't it I mean it was it doesn't really ring any any different you can't argue with the results he got at Saints uh, in the Premier League and the League Cup we can argue all we want about the Europa League yep. and yet at the end of the season this tidal wave of emotion that we had to get rid of Claude and now the same thing's happening at Leicester I don't I, you know people obviously just don't want to watch that style of football I think the thing about football fans now is that I think that they do want results in the short term, but they also expect to be entertained, possibly because they're paying so much money. And the truth is that for most clubs, that is an extremely difficult balance to hit. Mm. Um, And a lot of clubs, 
in similar size clubs like Leicester, Saints, whatever, seem to yo-yo between being very entertaining and getting no results to then deciding, well, what we need to do is be un- non-entertaining and get results because this is a desperate situation and then kind of flip from one to the other, basically. And I wonder if that's what's going on at Leicester again now. It does kick off a, a more winnable run of games for us, Steve, but certainly won't be easy going up to Leicester. So how do you think Hassan Hootel will uh, approach it, particularly as we know Danny Ings, and I think, Adam, you can probably say yes or no, I think Michael Obafemi will still be out for it. Is that right? Uh, I, I don't think we're expecting him back at this stage, yeah. Yeah, so that's pace that we've lost in the, the strike position, Steve, and we know Charlie Austin and Shane Long, as Richard Bland was saying, there's sort of one player there between them, but if you match their fitness and their goal scoring. So what do you think he'll do in terms of uh, the Saints' setup? Difficult to tell. I suspect we'll go with Long. I think that makes sense against what is a relatively slow back four. Stretching the likes of Johnny Evans and Wes Morgan, whether whether either or both of those do actually play. So, I mean, they're, they're centre-backs. Apart from, I think they've got, the, they got a Turkish lad who they signed in the summer who's only played occasionally, but he's um, he's a lot more sort of your sort of typical Claude Puel cultured centre-half, I think. So if he plays, then all of a sudden the the dynamic possibly changes a little bit. But yeah, I would, I would expect Long to play sort of with a view to sort of running the channels and getting in behind them. Um, kind of almost playing the Jamie Vardy role, if you like, um, since we're on the subject of Leicester. And but without um, the goals. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I mean, just one would be nice. Oh God, it's just where do you go from in that situation? It's with what Richard had to say in that you you combine the good attributes of Austin and Long, and you have one hell of a striker there. Yeah. Um, but we don't have that luxury. And it's like, well, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah, there's been this clip during the rounds, I'm sure you've seen it. I think Premier League posted it on their Twitter feed of uh, the Shane Long goal against, uh, I think it was against Aston Villa, where he... Uh, oh, the West Brom. Yeah, yeah, the ball comes about 60 yards. He takes it t- one touch over his shoulder and then curls it in the far post, and it's hard to believe it's the same player, but... Well, that touch goes out of play this well, season, Well, exactly. It? It's just... Con- I mean, we know football's a confidence thing, but it, he just he does just need a goal, doesn't he? Mm which we said for about the last 75 games. But uh, there we go. Um, right, let's do some predictions then. Adam, I feel obliged after your moan last week that you just go first from now on till the end of the season so that you've got no excuse. But I need to point out that you've already told us that you've picked your prediction, so we're not allowed to go with that. Oh, touche. That's good. That's, <laughs> good. That's, That's getting me back for the one the other up, week. Man. Yeah, good. All right, okay. I, I, I'll go first and I don't mind. I've got 1-0 go on Leicester. Then. I've written down here, low quality and scrappy. Okay, I, I'm going to go one all. Okay. Steve? I genuinely don't know. It's one of those where, I mean, toss a coin. It's, well, a three-sided coin, obviously. <laughs> but, um, um, nil-nil. Nil-nil. <laughs> no, no. I've, I've, I'm basing that on zero logic whatsoever, but because we're not that great at defending other than we did fine against Chelsea. But yeah. generally, I think we've got, We've still got issues, but eh, who knows? None of us are expecting a classic. I know it's a bit early to say, and I know you've not been to see Hazen Hutu at time of recording, Adam, but do you think Angus Gunn's done enough that he might start that game? Yeah, I think he might. I think I've said to you guys as well as we've gone along that that I've had this sense since the summer that Saints have, as a club, have been very, very pleased with themselves for getting Gunn. Um, He's not come here to to sit on the bench and be uh, second choice, and the... I've got the sense that they have wanted him to play. He's come in. He's, you know, he played very well against Chelsea. He, re- he really didn't have much to do, or particularly against Derby, a couple of saves, but you know, not it wasn't overly worked in that game. But he's he's done nothing wrong. So you kind of feel like 
the, that they will stick with him now. I'd be surprised if they don't. It'd be a bit weird to bring him in to take a look at him, him to do well, and then to, to take him back out again, even though, uh, you know, McCarthy might feel a little bit hard done by maybe. Um, it's only been a couple of errors after all. But I think I, I get the sense that Saints see Gunn as their long-term future as a goalkeeper, and that's why they recruited him in the summer, despite it seeming a very odd signing, given their strength of goalkeepers. But they obviously see him as the one who's going to be their number one for many years to come. Um, that's obviously what they want. And so, therefore, if that's really how the club feel and Ralph concurs, then when he's in, I guess it's it, he stays in. Thanks for listening to this episode of Total Saints Podcast. If you've enjoyed it, then why not give us a follow on Twitter and or Facebook. Just search Total Saints Pod and keep in touch with us. Likewise, please get in touch with any comments or feedback. It's always welcome and appreciated. Thanks again to Adam, Steve and this week's special guest, Richard Bland. We'll see you next time out. Until then, keep marching in. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered. By fans.